we started collecting all the forensics, all the logs, because we knew something serious was happening here and did what every company should do and submitted all this information to the FBI and didn't hear anything. That was the end of it. Um, Three years later, two FBI agents are knocking on the door of my office saying we need to talk, which that's usually a wake up call for anybody. It's like, talk about what? Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to another great episode of the Tech Leaders Playbook. Today, I have a really cool guest I think you all are going to love, Mr. Craig Sixta, who is a cybersecurity and AI expert and apparently a musician. Craig, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Craig, tell me tell me a little bit about your journey, man. I mean, including the music, including your career Tell us a little bit about your world uh, so we can get to know each other. Well, well, the funny thing is, and I hear this a lot in IT, I actually started out on the music side and IT was a way to make a living. And so I've kind of used both, but a lot of IT people, especially on the cyber side, have a high level of creativity and one of the outlets is music. So um, I was actually a piano performance major in college, which turns out is a terrible major to have for a career, but I learned a lot. I still enjoy it. So... Uh, play a lot of music in my free time, use it as stress relief, and then cybersecurity and AI the rest of the time. That's huge, man. We all need a, a an outlet, right? They they recommend folks that are blue collar to go home and unwind to something more, let's say a book or something like that. And then folks that are uh, in an office all day, they're supposed to do something with their, their hands or, or something like that. So I think it's a great outlet. Um, how did Absolutely. you, Craig, how did you get into cybersecurity? Because you have a very rich, very deep 30, 30 plus years um in the tech sector, uh, entrepreneurship, and and cybersecurity, and that's a big, big, uh, big topic these days. How did you get into it? Yeah, absolutely. So, started working with a technology company out of college, and started my own firm shortly after that, just doing general technology consulting. And it was interesting if you go back to the Target breach, which a lot of people remember years ago now, more years than I care to admit. But one of my clients actually was the company that supported the point of sale systems for Target. And so not that they were the source of the breach, but what happened was they experienced what's called a DDoS attack, a distributed denial of service attack. And when this started happening to them, it was right at the same time as the Target breach, we started collecting all the forensics, all the logs, because we knew something serious was happening here and did what every company should do and submitted all this information to the FBI and didn't hear anything. That was the end of it. Um, three years later, two FBI agents are knocking on the door of my office saying we need to talk, which that's usually a wake up call for anybody. It's like, talk about what? And uh, the, what they informed me of is that they actually caught the perpetrator, which never happens in cybersecurity. I, I've dealt with so many cybersecurity incidents and the business owners, the first thing they always ask me is, how are we going to catch this guy? And Frankly, you're probably not going to. He's probably overseas someplace. It's it's very hard to attribute who the attacker was. But in this case, it was interesting. They caught an overseas bad actor, and this overseas bad actor had IP addresses that linked to somebody who was a U.S. national. Uh, they caught this guy. And three years later, they're coming to us saying that of all the organizations that this guy attacked, you had the best evidence put together. We want to use you as a witness in the case to federally prosecute this guy. And so through that, uh, I got to meet some amazing people at the FBI, U.S. Attorney's Office, um, got to really see that side of the house. 
And the uh, end of the long story short, he ended up pleading guilty. He went to jail. I never had to testify, but I built these relationships that over the years I've been able to leverage as far as wire fraud, um, deal with a lot of wire fraud with ultra high net worth individuals, and then also with some ex-retired FBI and CIA agents. A lot of them go into private security where they're doing the physical security, basically the bodies and the guns. And a lot of, as we know nowadays, everything's digital. Everything comes back to digital. So they bring me in to say, how did the bad guys know about this? How did they get in? How did they figure this stuff out? And I'm, I'm the guy that gets to go out there and figure out the digital side of it. So it's a lot of fun. Nice. Craig, is that how you started Element Technologies? Uh, I actually did. I started my own um, technology company, and then I uh, bought into Element. We combined companies about seven years ago. Element's been around for about 30 years. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, we've wow. got okay. 75 employees right now, and, uh, yeah, it's it's going very well. What's the focus? What makes Element uh, so unique and so successful? Element largely focuses on general technology consulting, document management, where we handle millions of documents for clients, and then the cybersecurity side of the house. And that's what I think makes us unique between a lot of companies is we have a cybersecurity focus regardless of what we're doing. So even if it's document management or general consulting, Every single person in our company is trained to look at basically cybersecurity first because, as you know, every area is getting attacked, every single area now. And as we'll talk about, I'm sure, with AI, that's changing the whole threat landscape, too. It's it's changing every single day. Craig, um, maybe I heard it from you. Maybe I heard it from somewhere else. But I've heard that the, the most successful, the most brilliant billionaires sometimes are the easiest to hack into where... Uh, they're so vulnerable because they haven't set things up quickly that within seconds you could be looking inside their home, right? That's that's how quickly you can tap into that. What, what do you say to that? Yeah, it, it's absolutely true. And it's interesting because you would think with unlimited resources and unlimited money that there would just be the, the most amazing security ever. And uh, as I had mentioned earlier, th- through some of my contacts, I've got to work with some of the wealthiest people in the world. It's been pretty amazing. But that being said, they have the same flaws that I see in everybody's situation where you walk in and their default password for their internet has never been changed from their internet router. And so I've had that wow. where you walk in, you find it, you flip it over, you snap a picture, you walk out of the house, and now you can log in remotely to their entire system. And so, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting because uh, a lot of times the tools we use to secure ourselves, if they're not set up, can be used against us. And that's one of the stories I shared with you earlier is that uh, this very wealthy person had cameras throughout their entire house for their own protection, but it was a flawed system and an unsecure internet. And within minutes, I was saying, here's your kitchen table. See everybody talking around it? This is real time. And they were absolutely horrified. Now, there's ways to do that right. I'm not saying don't use cameras and don't protect yourself, but you have to know what you're doing to set it up properly so that the bad guys don't flip it and use it against you. What do you, I mean, can you explain the importance of cybersecurity uh, and how companies should approach this this thing? Because it's usually... Small companies, especially, they only come to firms like yours when they've already been mm-hmm. right. They've been hacked or something like that. What do you say to that? Why is it so important to set it up right from the from the get go? The the couple things that I would say to it is number one is it's not magic. For a lot of people, it it seems so confusing and so out there that they just can't get their minds around what I need to do to protect myself. So they do one of two things: either they say 
I can't handle it, so I'm not going to do anything and whatever happens, happens. Or I see the flip side where they buy every solution that anyone's ever recommended to them. It's not an exaggeration. I've been in law firms before where they're running three, four, five different antivirus solutions all at once, which, by the way, is a horrible thing to do. It does terrible things to your network. But I've seen that before. I was actually auditing a law firm one time where they were actively under a ransomware attack and had no idea because they had so many security solutions in place, they couldn't read the logs. And so that's one approach. So what I tell people is this, keep it simple. And I always use the, I like using the analogy of your house. So if you look at your own house from the outside, how's the bad guy going to break in? Well, first thing he's going to try to do is open the door. If the door's unlocked, he's in. Next thing he's going to try to do if the door's locked is check the windows. And if the windows are locked, he may try kicking in a window. So how do you build those layers of defense in your house? It's the same idea when you're trying to protect your network or protect your your systems is that there's very clear ways that the bad guys can get in. Don't get crazy complicated. Just look and go, okay, this is the door into my network, which usually is your internet connection. What do we put in place so we control who goes in and who goes out of that so that we can tell what's happening? And that's the key part for me is, don't just protect the door, but also audit it to know what's actually happening. So if something weird is happening, you're actually seeing it. You're not just hoping that the tools are doing the right job. That's, that's great. Yeah, we um, we moved offices. And basically, the, the few hours that it, the systems were down is when we had ransomware. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they took over some of our servers. Luckily, there was nothing really important. So we just said, keep it, you know. Um, I, I believe you were, you worked in the crypto world. Yes. Yep. I I was a contract uh, chief security officer for a crypto exchange for about two, three years. Nice. Tell us tell us how crypto and social media come together in that space, because I think that's what the play was. Correct. Uh, Yeah, it it was a social media first crypto company. Unfortunately, it didn't pan out. Anybody who's involved in crypto recently knows that we are going through a crypto winter. It's not a I, I shouldn't say now. Um, in the last year, two years, it's been a rough time to invest. It's just, it's been a difficult time. It was a challenging time for them to try to spin up a company. They had some great ideas, kind of bringing crypto into the social media space because so many people are getting into it because they hear Bitcoin, there's money behind that, let's do it. But they don't understand any of how it works. And for me as the CISO of that organization, that was the challenging part was not just securing their system, which thank goodness in three years, we never had a compromise. That's great. But my job was also trying to teach their clients what it means to securely use crypto and to understand you know, key generation, securing your keys, protecting them, what it means to basically have shared custody versus you know, private wallets and these, these are concepts that a lot of people don't understand. And if you don't understand it, but there's the old saying, not your keys, not your crypto. If people don't understand what that means, they can't protect it. And so it was, it was a fun journey to get through that. But it, I, I still think there's a need out there for um, some basic level education and kind of a, a beginner's area to start trading and understanding crypto. Because I think there's a lot of power to it, but there, it's a very confusing thing for a lot of people. Typically, I go against the grain when it comes to investing, right? So when people run, uh, you know, I typically like to to kind of invest. Do you think it's a good time now to invest in crypto, or is it so volatile, it's so vulnerable right now that it 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 could all be useless soon? I guess my advice in it, um, and there's a book called The Bitcoin Standard. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend people read that. Not just understand Bitcoin, but understand currency in general. I, I, I'm a big Bitcoin advocate. I think there, that that's probably the one that will stay around the longest. Everything else out there is pretty unstable. Now, it may there may be ones that 
um, will last. They'll work well. There are, there are some good ones out there. I'm a fan of Cardano and some of those other ones. But what I tell your day-to-day person, if somebody comes to me and says, you know, I've got you know, $50,000 of retirement and money to invest, which crypto should I put it in? My answer is don't put it in crypto. Put in something stable. Um, crypto can have some great returns and it can all go away very quickly. And so um, use money that you're willing to lose in it and you may win, but you may not. It's it's just it's not gambling. nearly. St- it, 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 in some way, it's gambling. I can see it as investing depending on the solution. But for a lot of the coins, yeah, it is gambling. So you have to be careful with it. It reminds me of uh, blackjack with card counting. Yes. Right? So <laughs> may, maybe you have decent odds at, at winning, but long term, but most likely it's 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 gambling. Yes. Um, what was that book again? It's called the Bitcoin Standard. The Bitcoin Standard, great. It's like the U.S. dollar standard, the gold standard. Now it's talking about, and the that's Bitcoin. the amazing part. Not to get into the book too much, but the first probably eight out of twelve chapters have nothing to do with crypto at all. They just have to do with monetary currency and why we have mm. it, and what the gold standard meant. And um, I frankly think it should be mandatory reading for every high school student just to understand what currency is, because a lot of people don't understand it. And then you can start having the conversation about crypto. That makes sense. What are some of the challenges and opportunities you see in evolving world of decentralized finance? Because that's a thing that's not going to go away. Oh, the the biggest challenge is uh, governance and controls. And we saw that with, um, oh, my brain just shut off, but um, we, we all know who we're talking about, mm-hmm. um, Sam Bankman-Fried. So uh, with that, with the whole FTX solution. That that was the problem there is from the outside, this looked like a legitimate business. It looked well organized. It was well controlled. And on the it turned out it really wasn't. And so there needs to be governance. But how do you do governance in a decentralized environment? That's that's really the kind of the paradox that we have to figure out to really come up with a good solution. The other thing with decentralized finance is there has to be an agreement that it's an actual currency. Because you and I may agree that, yeah, let's start trading in Bitcoin. But if most of the people go, yeah, that was great yesterday. I want to do Ethereum. Now, all of a sudden, it's not worth anything. And that's where those standards come in. So it's it's getting a, a big enough economy that it's actually useful. But then also the, the governance is a big part of it. And the challenge, frankly, is the governance a lot of times nowadays is decided by people that don't, either don't understand decentralized finance or they have a vested interest in not understanding it and keeping things centralized. And so it's a struggle. Will this book help us understand this concept? Yeah, further? yeah, absolutely. Excellent. I'm going to pick it up. I'm a big uh, book on tape guy. I like I like driving and listening to books. We wouldn't have an episode uh, talking to a big time tech leader without talking about AI, right? Uh, especially from a cybersecurity perspective. How do you envision AI playing, a, you know, a future in the cybersecurity world? Especially given the increasing sophistication of cyber threats because of AI. Yeah. And so moving away from, we deal a lot with large organizations, but I really want to bring it down initially talking about individuals, you, me, families, that sort of thing. Frankly, that's where I see the biggest concern with AI right now from a cyber threat uh, scenario is there are things that used to be very difficult to do when attacking somebody that are simple to do right now. And so one example I like sharing with people is one of the easiest things to do to somebody is a phishing attack. You get an email and it manipulates you into either giving up financial information, clicking on a malicious link, doing something. And historically, that would be something generic. They'd cast a wide net hoping you would click on something. 
But now what I can do literally with ChatGPT is a great example is I can look up your profile on the internet, which there's a lot of information about you, dump it into ChatGPT and say, write me a glowing article. And it will write me a great article. And then what I do is I send you an email saying, hey, I saw this article about you online. You read the article. You go, oh, that was interesting. You move on with your day. You don't realize that in the middle of the process, you clicked on something malicious. And so this works especially good with attorneys because the specific way to do it is you find out where they graduated college. You send them an alumni newsletter. And in the alumni newsletter is an article about them. And they, every, everybody wants to read about themselves. They click on it. And I, I'd actually done this where I said, write me an alumni newsletter about so-and-so attorney using this profile page. And in seconds, I have it. And it uses the right school lingo. It talks about school basket. Everything seems exactly right. And so for the attorney, they have no idea that they were compromised whatsoever. So that's just one example of how easy it is to instantly craft a very compelling, very directed attack. Um, the other things that we're seeing more and more is um, deep fakes, but real-time deep fakes, where now, I, I don't know if you saw recently, but there's a new solution out there where it can take a video in near real-time, convert it, so not only are you speaking in your own voice and say Spanish or a different language, but it actually changes your mouth movement so it matches the new language. So we could take wow. this podcast right now. When you're done recording it, if you had a Spanish audience you wanted to reach out to, you run it through there. And now we're talking Spanish for the entire time and our mouths are moving in Spanish. I mean, how phenomenal is that from a good perspective? But from a bad wow. perspective, it means I can capture a video of you. I can be talking in your voice with your mouth. Now, how do we validate who we're actually talking to anymore? And for wire fraud, that's a really big deal. It's crazy. I just started seeing LinkedIn uh, use a clear uh, uh, integration to, to verify actual identity because there's a lot of fake identities on LinkedIn right now. Uh, there's people that claim to work at HireCloud I've never met, so I know it's uh, fake. So, Craig, so is the uh, Nigerian prince really going to give me money or not? I'm still trying to figure that out. If you do get money from them, let let me know. The, the, the Nigerian, but I wouldn't because I you take some of my money. I I want them to. The, so here's a little funny story about the Nigerian prince because people laugh at that one, but it, these weren't idiots that came out with the Nigerian prince scam because what they were looking for is they were looking for people that were desperate and not paying attention. It was such an outlandish scheme that you and I go, well, that's ridiculous. But there are people that were desperate enough. They went, well, maybe, I don't know. And the other thing is when you see these phishing attacks that have all these misspellings in there, that's not because they don't speak English very well. They figure that if you're going so fast that you don't notice all the misspellings, you're probably going fast enough. You're going to miss the rest of the scam and click on all the malicious links as well. So they're weeding out the people like you and me that are just either going to give them a hard time or not fall for the scam anyway. And so we we still see wow. those those Nigerian print scams work. Actually, the one we see a lot that's not the Nigerian print scam, but it uses LinkedIn is I can pretty much guarantee it happens. To almost everybody who's hired recently that changes their job description on LinkedIn, they are going to get a text saying, hey, this is your boss. Um, I'm, I'm busy right now. Can you please give me some gift cards and send me the gift card information? I'm with a client. My employees get this daily. They every day, every day. And people. People fall for it. And here's the sad part. I've worked with people before that fell for that and gave $1,000 of gift cards to a scammer. And their company went back and said, 
we never sent that to you. It never came through our system. We're not reimbursing you. Too bad. Craig, we literally, this literally happened to us. Someone bought two $500 gift certificates from Amazon and sent it. Yeah. Lucky for us, lucky for us, Amazon, uh, I think, ended up refunding every dollar and I made sure of it. I mean, I stayed on the phone with this employee because I felt terrible that they, exactly. first of all, I mean, for them to have that much class and that much trust that they would go uh, and do that. And this was not a, a you know a, a wealthy person. This was person in a in a in a small country that that thousand dollars is a big deal. It could be worth four or five thousand at that time U.S. dollars, and they did it. So I was like, you yeah. getting every penny back. I mean, what a what a nasty thing to do. But they're doing it daily. How do we prevent that? Yeah, the two things that you can do to help with that. Number one is right off the bat with any new employee, tell them we're never going to ask you to do anything financially yep. by email or text, whatever. And you have permission to call me and ask if you're ever unsure, get pick up the phone and call me on a number you actually know, because sometimes there's a fake number in that scam. Oh, yeah. Call me on the number, you know, and just verify with me before you ever do anything. That's step number one. Step number two is cybersecurity training has to happen for new employees day one. The analogy I like to give is imagine some kid and you're going to go on a camping trip with them. And so you say, today, we're going to teach you how to purify water. Next week, we're going to teach you how to start a fire. You're going out camping for a month. They're going to be dead in a week. It's it, it's yep. just a given. It's the same thing with cybersecurity. A lot of these training programs, they have this trickle theory where we'll do a little training on phishing, and next month we'll train you on this, and next month we'll train you on this. Well, all the attacks are happening day one, including the LinkedIn attack with the gift card scam. So you really have to have a formal training right off the get-go saying, in this industry, these are the threats that we're seeing. These are the attacks you may get. And if you get them, this is what you do about it. And just do that right off the bat. It's part of our onboarding, Greg. Our, my team has created that as a part of the onboarding day one. And we show all the different examples. We're like, ne never will we ask you for, for, for anything like that. Yeah. Um, I like it. I like it. Very cool. Um, very interesting. Uh, Craig, tell me more about your, your, your thoughts on AI. Uh, what's, you know, what, what, what we all worry about humans being replaced, right? What, what is the, the potential of, of AI actually replacing human jobs, especially in IT or customer service? So right off the bat, probably not going to happen right away, but there are concerns and it may be sooner than we think it's going to be in some areas. The one that I give examples of is because I work in the legal field a lot with a lot of attorneys and whatnot. And with the advent of ChatGPT, which by the way, caveat, ChatGPT is wrong a lot of the time, so you can't rely on it 100%. But what I tell people is what you're seeing with ChatGPT right now is in its infancy. This is like the iPhone 1. When we get to the iPhone 15, things are going to be completely different. So don't look at what ChatGPT is and just discount AI. But already we're seeing it with ChatGPT where people are using it to do legal research, to build, you know, different court documents and this sort of thing where a lot of uh, paralegals were relied on to do all of this work. And now you can build an automated workflow that does all of it. Uh, so there was an example of a law firm that we worked with that they had a process they had that probably took a week to gather documents, to put depositions together, to do all this, to build the specific form that they had to do for the type of work they did. And through ChatGPT and AI automation, they have it down to a few hours now where basically the information gets ingested, it kicks out all the right documents, the court gets it and they're done. And so a week worth of human work became automated. And so 
I do think that we're going to see that sooner than later, even in the technical field. Um, I'll fully admit it. Um, it's a great story. We had a billion-dollar company. It's three in the morning. I'm working with a level three engineer, and we can't get this system working where one of their locations can't talk to another one. And what I, I said, guys, let's just try it. And so I put into ChatGPT, this is the system at the one site. This is the system at the other site. How do we get these connected properly? And it gave us line-by-line line instructions, as well as an article at the end explaining why it had it. Now, once again, there's, it's been wrong before, and I would never want somebody who doesn't understand tech to just say, well, here it is. Let's go with it. But we did it, and guess what? It was right. Everything was up and running. We went to bed. And so the, wow. it's it's going to, if it doesn't replace people, it's really going to expedite what they're doing and cut down the time significantly. Well, which will then create opportunities to, unfortunately, to not uh, yeah. hire as many people. It's, it's, it's normal. I mean, and I think... This what's happening in the world is prime for disruption, right? Because what's happening is more and more people want to work remote. Uh, more and more people are working less. They're working multiple jobs. They're asking for nearly double the income that they did three, four years ago. So unfortunately, uh, I mean, there's articles on this, so it's not my opinion necessarily. 22% of people are engaged in their, their work. So they're not only are they double the cost, they're double dipping, sometimes working multiple jobs, they're remote, they're doing all the things yep. that are driving companies crazy. And now you're giving companies the power to, to eliminate folks that are doing those things. So why wouldn't they, right? Yeah, well, here's the interesting plot twist of that that I'm seeing, actually, is I, at least with what I'm seeing right now in small, medium businesses, I'm seeing employees leveraging AI more than I'm seeing the companies leverage it, which is Absolutely. interesting. Where, cause this is really a bottom up technology. You can't stop somebody from using chat GPT. It's everywhere. And so I'm hearing of employees that are cutting down their workloads significantly. Great. And then what they're doing is they're multitasking and doing other things with their free time now. And the company's none the wiser. And that's where I tell companies, you've got to start developing AI policies because it's not a, I've, I've had companies tell me, block AI from coming into our network, just make it so it doesn't happen. And I'm like, I can't do that. Can't it just, do that it's not no. a thing. I said, you need to create policies that explain when and where your employees should be using AI because guess what? Some of them already are. What's a, Craig, what's a, a, a use case that, that is inappropriate? For, obviously, every company is different, but why would you as a company want to block that? Uh, one of the key things, especially in a, I'm picking on ChatGPT, there's a lot of different ones out there, but that's the most prominent one right now, is sharing confidential information into the system. So if you're working in medical or legal or something, there's some private information that should not be dumped into a public system that the company doesn't control. And so you have to be very careful about that, about what you're wow. actually feeding into the system and who can actually access it. Um at the end of the day, it's a system that's outside of the company's control. So I tell people that, I mean, have you locked down ChatGPT with MFA? Is it completely protected? If I, as a bad guy, get into your ChatGPT, what am I going to see in there for the history? Because the company's not monitoring that. And wow, so that's the, brilliant. The, that whole confidential information side of things. And then also passing off your work as your own when it may not be. I, I caution people, don't start writing blog articles just by typing some stuff into ChatGPT because are you actually adding value? Is the information correct? I mean, what what are you getting out of this? And I, I see a lot of people short-circuiting things by doing that. Um, you have a, I think you have an extensive background in compliance, right? Yes. Yep. Uh, what are your thoughts on et the ethical implications of using AI, such as privacy and decision-making transparency? I mean, you kind of alluded, you talked about it a little bit, but in general. 
Yeah. So it's interesting. I actually wrote an article for the American Legal Association just on that topic. And one of the things I talked about was there are certain areas of ethics where I think AI could really help us out. And one of the things I explained was, frankly, there's a lot of areas of government that are really, really inefficient that AI could help us make decisions on, you know, more more um, uh, intelligent transportation systems and how do we design our roads and how do we properly, uh, big thing in government, auditing finances. Can you imagine an AI solution that goes, wait a minute, we should not be spending $2,500 a toilet in the military. Something's probably up here in the AI solution that figures out what was actually spent. Right now, we have tons of people doing auditing and it's it's very murky. And that's where AI can really step in and help. The ethical side of that, um, one of the biggest ethical concerns I see right now as a content creator on the internet, because I, I write a lot of articles, I do a lot of technical things, is AI is ingesting all this information and feeding it back to you, the end user, without acknowledging who created it in the first place. And I think that's ultimately becoming a problem. The analogy that I use is if I have a personal assistant and I send them on the internet to do some research and they give that to me, there's nothing wrong with that. But in a way, AI is doing that for everything. And I think we're seeing the forefront of that. In a few years from now, I would be very surprised if people are typing in www.google.com and searching for things. They're just going to say, hey, what, what do I need to know on this? And it's just going to pop up graphics, information, videos. It's all going to be fed to you without any acknowledgement of the original content creators. And there's some very interesting ethical concerns on who's going to monetize it. How is it going to be controlled? We're already seeing people like Stackflow in some different places blocking out ChatGPT. It may be too late. I think ChatGPT already has all their information, but they're starting to say, no, you can't ingest this information in there. So it's going to be an interesting battle. Are there any like uh, specific AI technologies, tools that are, you're particularly excited about right now with, with, with what's happening? Uh, well, the way that OpenAI is starting to get leveraged into different tools is exciting to me from a normal business perspective. Uh, Microsoft Copilot's one of those that's using OpenAI. Mm. It's not out for public release yet, but the whole idea of, especially for me, I'm sitting in meetings all day, every day, and so are a lot of people. Uh, the idea of Copilot sitting along with you in Teams and not just being a transcription service, but actually being intelligent enough that we go, wow, that was a great idea. If we could only do a write-up on that or a policy for the rest of the company, and it just does it. It's done. Or automatically end of the meeting, here were all the to-dos. This is what we agreed on. Here was the tone of the meeting. It really adds a lot of intelligence that gets lost at the end of the meeting. Unless you have a really good note taker, we lose a lot of that. Copilot extends into Excel and Word and all those other tools as well. And it's really going to be transformational in how we ingest and we manipulate data. So that's that's one example that I'm really excited about. Um, there's there's a lot of other ones out there. It's, uh, legal field specifically, there's some things that are ingesting all of case law. So it's actually accurate answers. And so if you can imagine you're dealing with a lawsuit about something, you can tell ask it, what's all the pre preeminent case law? on this and it will be able to tell you everything that relates to it intelligently. And so wow. there's there's some exciting things out there. And those are just the basic ones. Um, one that I like to share that's a little scary, you can read that. It was, um, is it Cambridge University? I believe it was. You can look it up, but what they did is they built an AI solution where they had a video recorder or cam camera, security cameras recording an office space. And at the same time, the AI solution was analyzing the Wi-Fi signals. Because if you think with Wi-Fi, if you th have three or four access points, they're all talking to each other, you have triangulation. And what they were able to do, it wasn't by human programming, it was by AI comparing the two. 
it was able to build wireframe models of the human beings in the office space and know where wow. they were and moving. And it wasn't just this like shadow blob moving. It was a wireframe of a person. Now, think about that from a practical standpoint, from security, the good and the bad is that when you walk into an office space, now I do facial recognition on you as you walk in the door. I know who you are. Now I don't have to have security cameras anymore. I'm following you through the whole space. I don't see you, but I see your wireframe. And now I know wow. where people were the whole time. And I, I know this is going to get abused, but there are some good uses of, is the building empty in an emergency situation? Do we still have people that we don't know about? Cameras always feel intrusive. Now we don't have cameras. It's, it's it's scary, but it's interesting. It's just a world, right? With every great technology uh, advancement, it, it creates uh, opportunities for the bad guys to to do something bad, right? Yes. And then we have to stay ahead of the game by preventing that. Craig, it, as a person and as a as a leader of a company, separately, what are the top two things you would go after listening to this this great podcast? What would you go do? Recommend we all do. Start as a person. Cybersecurity. So on the cybersecurity side, this is what I always tell people whenever I do a talk. If you forget everything else I ever talk about, enable MFA on every system you have. That's multi-factor authentication. And so whether it's logging into Amazon, Facebook, your retirement accounts, you name it, um, what MFA is, is it's that second factor that is beyond your username and password. So if you think about it from a bad guy's perspective, if all you have is a username and password, anybody in the world that knows that can log in. Now, if I have MFA where I have a rolling code on my phone and that's the only place it exists, now the bad guy can't get me from Russia anymore. He has to either get into my phone and steal that code or he has to trick me into giving that code up. So it's not foolproof, but it makes you so much more secure. And we deal with breaches each and every day. And I've only dealt with one or two that actually have to had MFA compromised. It, it puts you in a much, much better position. And so learn how to use it and turn it on. And, and so should we not allow our... our, our computers to remember passwords, because that's the biggest pain in the butt, right? It is. And so um, I know it's not very popular anymore. I still think LastPass is a better solution than having your computer remember its password. Um, there's another solution out there. I'm a big fan of Proton, um, Proton Mail, Proton Pass. Uh, they're a company based out of Switzerland that at least so far has passed security muster with the security com cybersecurity community. Um, that's nice. the one I, I use in particular. So it does remember my passwords, but actually I'm looking at it right now. And if you were to get on my computer, you still can't get to those passwords without a six-digit code that I have to enter every hour. So if I walk away an hour later, my computer, those codes aren't available. So oh, it's, wow. it's pretty slick. It, it sounds like it's a little bit of work, but it's worth it, it's, right? It's so worth it because it's a little work on the front end. Once you get used to it, it's not that hard. But the consequences of not doing it, I mean, it's, it's one thing when a big company loses millions of dollars, it may set them back. But I've worked with individuals before that have had their bank accounts, their retirement accounts, their crypto accounts emptied out, and it's, it's wiped them out. And it's, wow. it's extremely challenging. Wow. Okay, great. That was very, very smart. How about as a company? As a company, uh, it, on the cybersecurity side, like I said, keep it simple. If, if, if your system is so complex that you don't understand it as a business owner, simplify it so that you can understand it. The second part I'd say is understand your backups. Your backups cover a multitude of sins. And so when it comes to you, you experienced ransomware, we've had lots of companies experience ransomware. And if you have offsite backups that are separated from your network, you don't have to pay the ransom. You just restore the backups and you keep doing your job. If you don't have those backups, you're either going out of business or you're paying the ransom. And sometimes even paying the ransom won't get you back up and running. Wow. 
It's brilliant. Uh, and then if that all fails, Craig, I would love for, for you to uh, share how, how they can get in touch with Element Technologies to, to take advantage of your, your services. You were referred to me by another cybersecurity expert, Craig. His, yes. Uh, so that, you know, thank you, Craig, for connecting us. But tell, tell us a little bit about your company and how, do, how does someone uh, get in touch with you? Yeah, if it's a security concern, especially an event that's actually happened real time, pick up the phone and call us on our website. It's element.com, but there is a dash in there. So it's ele-ment.com. I go there and then we have a general email security at element.com. If you ever run into an issue uh, on the security side, send us a message. Um, what, What I try to tell people, especially businesses can afford to solve problems and pay money. And so we we make good money. I'm not going to say we don't. On the individual side, I never want money to come in the way of somebody being compromised. And it's I don't want to end the podcast on this, but it's kind of a depressing story where I did have a another company, uh, one of these ex-CIA guys came to us and had a client that what happened was they had a daughter that was being harassed and this was by a hacker and the hacker had got into their in-house camera system and was basically harassing and talking to her to the point where she had attempted suicide. And that's at the point where I got involved with how are you going to, and the saddest part of the call, no fault of the security company, but when they brought me into it, they said, we've already vetted the client. They can afford to pay your fee. So don't worry, you can proceed. And I'm going, wait a minute, I don't care about my fee. If if this is an issue, get me involved right now. We'll figure out the fees afterwards if there even need to be any. So if you're ever in a situation like that, um, I'll do the best I can to help, especially a, a health situation like that. And even if I can't, I can direct you at the right people. There's whole networks of people out there that are ready to jump and help individuals because most people are in way over their heads. If they're being directed with a cybersecurity attack, they just can't handle it. It's 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 overwhelming. So there, there's people out there to help. That's a class act offer from you, Craig. Thank you for yep. doing that. That's that's huge. And and you owe me an audit, I think, right? You were going to do an audit on my system. Yeah, I'm going to do an audit on your system and we'll see how that turns out. I would love that. Yeah. Craig, you've been awesome, man. Thank you so much for educating us on cybersecurity, AI, even crypto. I didn't expect to learn about crypto, but I did. So appreciate all the tool recommendation. Appreciate you, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. Thanks. And that brings us to the end of another great episode of the Tech Leaders Playbook. I want to thank you for joining us and hope you took away some valuable insights to apply in your professional journey. Don't forget to subscribe on your preferred podcast platform so you don't miss out on the next great conversation. I promise it'll be good. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate if you could leave us a review. Your feedback not only helps us improve, but also help others discover the podcast. Better leaders mean better working environments. Better working environments leads to happier people. I'm Avita Santablian, and this has been the Tech Leaders Playbook. Keep leading, keep learning, keep giving, and I'll see you on the next one. Until then, stay inspired, my friends.